And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday... August 18th, Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, and Fabian Ardaya joining us this week as we continue to rotate in some new friends. Britt Roley out on leave right now, so congrats to her and her family on the new addition. Fabian, thanks for jumping in. Yeah, of course, thanks for having me on. Fabian, of course, covers the Dodgers for the Athletics. You've probably read his stuff for a while now, and we're going to try and blow up the Death Star, if you will, unless you're a Dodgers fan. I guess you wouldn't think of your own team as a Death Star, but we're trying to find flaws in what appears to be the league's most complete team. It's just a great lineup top to bottom. A pitching staff maybe that's starting to finally show some warts, but they have a few players coming back soon that could be difference makers. And Fabian, I want to start with the deadline because coming out of the trade deadline, I think people were kind of scratching their heads a little bit at the Dodgers. They didn't make big moves. They made the surprising uh, trade to get Joey Gallo from the Yankees. And I think maybe if there was any concern, it might have been about pitching depth. This was all prior to Clayton Kershaw's latest injury too, right? So the timing of that might have been uh, a part of the factors here. But how surprised were you at the way the Dodgers handled their deadline considering the context at the time? I do think part of it obviously was the fact that they were in the Soto sweepstakes and probably finished second around there on that bill. I think that maybe held up some of the conversations. But yeah, I mean, they they probably could have used another starting pitcher. I know they were in on Pablo Lopez. They That was probably the main guy that they were targeting during the deadline. He didn't wind up moving. The price was really high. I mean, I know they wanted to add another uh, bat in terms of just someone else who's more stable for the postseason uh, and J.D. Martinez, but his price was too high. But, yeah, I mean, they didn't really do all that much. I mean, Joey Gallo was kind of a you throw him out there, see if he gets hot for a couple of months, and he's a difference maker in October in a way that not many guys who moved the deadline is. But, like, other than that, Chris Martin is going to help that bullpen just get to October and might be able to crack that postseason bullpen, but he's not a lock. So they didn't really do a lot to address, like, what their core is going to be in October, and it's a lot of bets on – Guys getting healthy, which we've already started to see, is not necessarily a guarantee. I mean, Walker Buehler, uh, it was already kind of looking unlikely he was going to be back this season. And now that's a guarantee that he won't. He's going to have elbow surgery, and they started to figure out from there what his future is. And I mean, they're still waiting on other guys to come back from injury. It doesn't look like Danny Duffy's going to come back this year, who was the big deadline acquisition last year before Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Uh, so, I mean, they, they have a lot of guys who they're betting on being back who aren't necessarily guarantees to be back. Yeah, the the dreaded uh our our best deadline acquisition comes from within 
coming off the IL is no, uh, but the, in this case, I I give it a little bit of credence because Dustin May had uh, I think a top three stuff number in the minor leagues uh, when I last looked uh, when I ran last ran it, and I talked to a, a team analyst who said they he was number one in their model. Um, so getting uh, the biggest stuff guy uh, in the minor leagues back. Uh, into your rotation is good. I guess the question, you know, he has been going longer in his stints, right? Has he, you know, is he going to be just a, a starter and they're just going to let him go? And because he's, it's so late in the season, they're just going to pitch him every five days, five innings and, and into the postseason. Is that the plan for Dustin May, you think? Seems to be. I mean, I think they're sort of, especially it kind of worked out there's a opening in the rotation that'll happen as he comes in on saturday for his debut and yeah i mean that's you're exactly right you don't like he's his stuff is absolutely there and if he can sort of miss bats the way he did the first month of last year before he got hurt that's a real difference difference maker for the dodgers but he's been going he went five innings 70 pitches his last outing so that they said he threw 10 more in the pen he'll probably be five and 75 on saturday and from there he's just gonna be a full-fledged starter the rest of the way and He's probably, if he sort of comes back in this, what we're expecting, uh, between him, Julio Rios, and Clinton Kershaw are probably the three guys you probably have built, like bolted down in terms of your postseason rotation, and the rest of it just sort of fills in around them. I, I think it's I think it's really solid. I think one of the reasons they weren't as active as they could have been, maybe in the in the. Um, in the trade deadline, I think it's sort of you you kind of talked about it a little bit with like, you know, Soto makes a difference. You know, you talk about difference makers, right? Soto makes a difference on this team. Does do like small deals make a difference? You know, like the Braves went and got like Robbie Grossman. <laughs> you know, like do the Dodgers need to get Robbie Grossman? Like <laughs> who's Robbie Grossman going to play over? Uh, what does he What does he bring to the team? So you know, the 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 Dodgers, I think were kind of stuck in their how good they are (laughs) it's just like you know who are we who are we replacing here what you know how good is this person coming in and um you know i do think some of the other injury returnees are really important to them um you know if you trade for a reliever is he going to be better than blake trinan probably not uh, if you trade for a slugging infielder is that going to be better than a healthy max muncie Probably not. And Max Muncy looks healthy again. You know, in the last, in the second half, he's uh, been 42% better than league average and uh, the slugging is back. And I think it just took some time for that that elbow to heal. So, um, you know, we're not really doing a good job blowing them up for inactivity at the trade deadline because I think they were just too good to begin that that it wasn't and if you look honestly if you look at some of the teams that spent a lot and and had really good teams to begin the season they didn't do as much and people are yelling at the Mets uh you know and people are yelling at uh the Yankees and people are yelling at the Dodgers well those were the, the three best teams coming into the season and and still probably are you know in at least in the top five all three of them so um, you know, I, I think uh, it, sometimes it's just hard to add when, you, when you're so good. Yeah, plus they already kind of made their Robbie Grossman acquisition back in June when they traded for Trace Thompson, who's been really good. And yeah, Max Muncie made an adjustment recently that's like allowed him to get back into the swing mechanics that worked uh, before he got injured. Like they're, they're figuring some stuff out. And if enough of those guys, like of the few guys who were struggling the first half sort of turn it around, like that's sort of what they're betting on. 
Uh, hasn't quite worked out with Cody Bellinger, who just got benched. Uh, but the rest of the guys that are trying to figure that, figure that out, the question mark might be Blake Trinan, though. What's the deal with Bellinger? Uh, he just got benched, uh, well, temporarily sat. Uh, it sat on Tuesdays, he's going to sit on Wednesday, uh, just as like a reset sort of period. I thought he'd been looking better since the, the All-Star break. He had been and then fell a little bit. Oh, and they no. sort of some of the same sort of tendencies that have sort of cropped up over the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Trinan as, like, maybe a bullpen piece. I mean, he he's working his way back. He's in on a rehab assignment. But there, I, mean, I think, at least me personally, there's still reason to be concerned just because he was 93 to 96. Oh, no. Uh, in OKC. So it's not necessarily... It's not all where he wants to be, not all the way back, and the spin has dropped on the slider, so it's not sure if it's something that he's going to necessarily be trusting with that shoulder. Interesting. Uh, so, I mean, he's someone who I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if he makes it back to the big leagues this season, but it's still going to be one of those things where you have to keep a really discerning eye on it. He's might he might not be the guy he was pre-injury this season. So, I mean, that's something else that the Dodgers probably have to keep in mind. I keep looking at this this roster and. Every time I look at it, I start thinking about the prospects that are either major league ready or near major league ready players that haven't debuted yet. We've seen Miguel Vargas briefly. If they had a major issue, I think they would probably give him a shot to play on a regular basis, right? Something happened to Justin Turner. I think Vargas is probably their best option to bring up. The pitching, though, is the other area where if something goes wrong, if if Kershaw doesn't come back as expected or if one of the other starters falls off or gets hurt, they can turn to any one of Ryan Pepio or Gavin Stone or possibly Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller, Bobby 100. Do you get the sense that if they need a boost in the bullpen, that they're content to let guys who have not pitched in the big leagues yet possibly round out those bottom spots as they start thinking about their postseason roster? I do think that they could have that as a possibility. I mean, Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller just got the AAA uh, this week. And I think they have such a lead in the division at this point that I could see the last couple of weeks just being a trying out period where if they f- want, feel like Bobby Miller is better than some of their options or at least could be, they might maybe bring him up just to throw him out there for a relief appearance or two. I mean, they did that in 2017 with Walker Buehler. It didn't work well. Walker Buehler didn't make the postseason roster, didn't work well as a reliever, but like they gave that a shot. And I could see them doing something similar with someone like Miller because obviously you've already mentioned he already throws 100, has four quality uh, offerings and misses bats and if he can do that in the postseason that's something that's a possibility ryan pepio is intriguing because obviously he has a lot of swing and miss still doesn't throw enough strikes uh, especially i mean last night he walked five guys and has been a little bit more homer prone of late but obviously like you can see the upside there yeah i bet you they don't do it with him because it's like you just you don't want to exacerbate anything you want him to stay a starter you want him to continue to work on command i think Bobby Miller to me is like, you know, Bobby 100. He's got, he could totally be a reliever, you know, <laughs> just come in and throw some gas. Uh, but I think, you know, I, I am sort of uncovering what I think is a danger. So you're, you're talking about these young players that could come up and uh, be important for them. But, you know, I was just talking about how they couldn't make additions because they were so good. But in between those two statements is risk for the Dodgers. And what I see it as is risk that the veterans fall off, but not but aren't hurt, you know, not obviously hurt. They're just not playing well. So Cody Bellinger, you know, we thought it there's something, oh, but what if he doesn't get back? Oh no. Okay. Now there's a little bit of a hole there. Now he's just a defensive guy. 
What if Justin Tur- Justin Turner looks better some days and he looks worse some days? And you know, what if he just doesn't get all the way back to where Justin Turner used to be? Now you're like, well, do I sit Justin Turner for Miguel Vargas? You know, do I put Miguel Vargas on my postseason roster to pinch hit for Justin Turner at some point? Like that would be weird, you know, especially since they're both righties, right? Vargas is a righty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like I could even be like, oh, platoon, you know. So like, uh, uh, the 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 real, I think the real, if there is also a team that like shows us the opposite of the Dodgers or shows us how the Dodgers could be vulnerable, I think it's the Atlanta Braves, because the Atlanta Braves uh, do not did not make the big acquisitions, did not send out uh, you know Kybert Ruiz and and Josiah Gray, did not make those kinds of acquisitions, and instead made literally smaller ones. They kept their best prospects, and now their best prospects are up and playing in positions of needs. And so you have Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris coming up um, and just just getting inserted in the lineup, you know, and not not worrying about who they are displacing. There's no big veteran with a big contract that they have to push out of the way. They're just put into the lineup. And um, and they also represent a kind of athletic, dynamic, young team that uh, I think could be a, a danger for the Dodgers who have slowly become older, you know, and have just in a, in a couple key spots have these big contracts. You know, they, they're not just going to put Miguel Vargas right into the lineup, you know, he could be their Von Grissom, but they're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, they have like a little bit more athleticism in the last year or so with Lux playing every day, Trey Turner in there. But you're, I mean, you're right. Like there, there isn't quite the infusion of sort of new blood that the Braves seem to like just be having every single time they have a hole. Like, all right, <laughs> yeah. let, let's throw, let's throw Michael Harris there. He's going to have like a 129 OPS plus. Like, Wilson, let's throw Will, 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 what's, a, yeah, what's Will, his brother? William Contreras, William William Contreras, Contreras yeah. all-star. Like, uh, like Von Grissom, yeah. it's a home run in his first big league at bat. Like it, all this stuff. I mean, like the Dodgers, like they have some young guys, like, like you mentioned, who could probably have that kind of upside if given that run base exceed. Miguel Vargas, the bat seems very real. Like obviously there's concerns about the glove, everything else, but the bat seems very yeah. real. But like, they haven't had necessarily the chance to have like that sort of run where they can figure it out or not. And I think the last prospect they really did that with was Gavin Lux. But even then, like he came up and it was a part-time player part-time and then got that chance. So yeah, like it's a different way of like integrating guys. But like yeah, you're. I mean, you just don't have to look all that further than last year to see how much the Braves can sort of challenge this Dodgers team. I know it's not the same Dodgers team, but I mean, there's a lot of different things that they can do that sort of really press at things that the Dodgers usually do well. A point of clarity before all the Dodgers fans listen to the show start parachuting into our, our mentions is that this is a very good team. They have won 80 oh, games was, already. We're recording this on, on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> We're just trying to pick nits in what looks like an elite team. And the Dodgers, just looking at the last, I'm going back to 2000, looking at offenses on fan graphs, just total WRC plus. They have the third best offense that we've seen since 2000, right? The only teams that were better, the 2019 Astros, well, they're, they're pretty good, 124 WRC plus, and the 2020 Mets, that was a 2020 season, throw it out because it was only 60 games. Mm. So the, you know, the, the nits we're picking here, tiny. And I think the question is, does Atlanta have enough in the pitching staff to keep that Dodgers offense at bay? I think the teams that are most dangerous, the Dodgers, are the elite pitching teams. Maybe even the Brewers, in a way, are a low-key, tough matchup for the Dodgers if everything's going well. But that Dodgers lineup is so tough because we saw it in the start on Monday night that Freddie Peralta had against them. 
he had to work to get through four innings, I think it was, in that start. It was like 90 pitches because you can foul so many pitches off. You can work the count. and So disciplined. Is Atlanta built in the rotation? I know they're good in the bullpen. Are they good enough in the rotation to actually you know, do what they did last year against the Dodgers? Can they repeat that? Do we trust that rotation enough to to hold its own against this amazing Dodgers offense? Yeah, because the thing is, like, when you're facing the Dodgers, it's more than just, like, like weathering the one chance that they generate. Because that's their big strength. They, they're going to generate another one, even if you stop them the first time. You saw that in that game Monday against the Brewers, where, like, they, they load the bases, don't score any runs. Cody Bellinger strikes out. All of a sudden, they come on, pour it on two innings later. Like, they're just going to be generating other chances. And that means you have to have a lot of guys who are capable of going multiple innings or navigating through tough spots. And whether like, your starters basically have to be leverage relievers a lot of times early in games. Uh, I mean, they, they've seen Ian Anderson well. I know he got, just got sent down, but like he, they've seen him well, but there are other guys in that rotation. Like they've had some success at different points against the Dodgers. I mean, Max Freed pitches well against them seemingly every single time. Uh, Charlie Morton obviously has a lot of success against the Dodgers historically. I think they, they probably need another starter to sort of step up into that mold and really show I got that it. level of success against that type of lineup. But Spencer Strider, I mean, he's that's the, guy the guy. Who, that's the guy. <laughs> that's the guy I'm looking at. But the only thing is just just if he can be that type of Spencer Strider come October. So I think the big how many innings does he have? How how yeah. long is this this year going to last for him? Yeah, I think that's a good question. But when you said you have to kind of be a leverage reliever, like Spencer Strider is a closer that goes five. Like that's that's why he's so excellent. Like he's still kind of a two pitch guy, but he has an awesome fastball, an awesome slider, and he's just able to 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 keep that velo and keep that nastiness up for five innings. So you know he is the type of guy that could make the difference. I agree with you completely. Um, you know because if he if you got Strider, Morton, and Freed, uh, then and, and then. Kyle Wright, who uh, I have as the second biggest uh, change in stuff plus from year to year, from last year to this year, um, among starting pitchers, um, you know, you can have Kyle Wright, who who's had some recent uh, issues and, um, you know, may have some innings concerns of his own uh, as, a, as a piggyback, as the guy who comes in in the third or fourth if Morton can't get further. So I think I think they absolutely have it. And um, and I hate it to be recency bias because the Mets are absolutely a great team. Uh, but the Mets, to me, kind of represent more the Dodgers thing. They're veterans everywhere. They're older guys, you know. Uh, they're more established, you know, known quantities. But um, they don't have, I think, that uh, shining young star that... Uh, that people aren't that haven't like all figured out in the advanced scouting yet that kind of just comes through and, and lays waste to a postseason. Uh, the Braves to me seem like they have multiple candidates for that where there's a guy that you didn't game plan for that that hit the two homers or whatever. So um, I, I think that it's uh, it's also an interesting uh, look in terms of offensive philosophy. I mean, when you were talking about uh, you know they generate chances, the Dodgers. What I think of is they're the most disciplined team in the majors, uh, or actually the Arizona Dimebacks are, but that uh, they're the second most disciplined uh, team in the majors when it comes to that's something that uh, Alex Cobb pointed out to me last night in the clubhouse, which it blew my mind. But uh, in terms of chasing balls, the Arizona Dimebacks are first, and the Dodgers are second. Um, the Braves are a very different squad. They're bottom five in chase rate, so they can be pitched to. You can get them to expand the zone. However. 
they're dynamic and young and powerful. And some of that like chase rate stuff kind of goes out the window if Acuna takes a ball two inches off the ground for a homer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he yeah. chased it and he hit it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what they ran into with like Eddie Rosario. He's a bad ball hitter. You know, he swings at bad balls, but sometimes he hits them really far. Um, and the Braves offense has kind of, and I think it's, I think it's actually kind of cool because, you know, one thing that I don't like is if everybody becomes the Dodgers and they decide that the Dodgers way to win is the only way to win. And everyone tries to do their way. It seems like the Braves actually represent like a different way. The Mets are a little bit more, uh, and the Mets actually in a little bit too, they're, they're kind of a singles hitting squad. You know, they're kind of like a, they're not necessarily all big boppers. So I, I think the Mets, Braves, and Dodgers, in fact, are, are, are in some ways, at least offensively, there's three different philosophies going on, you know, and uh, the Mets want to string together a bunch of hits. The Dodgers want to take a bunch of walks and hit the homer. Um, and the Braves are just, just trying, are just up there swinging, man. <laughs> yeah. Of all those teams, I mean, Atlanta have 24.4% K rate so far this season. That can... That could really come back to bite you in your feast or famine sometimes. But I do think they've got a, a really nice baseline. We've seen that. The Mets being one of those teams that doesn't hit homers is just, it's very trippy. It, it puts so much more pressure on their pitching. It puts so much more pressure on Jacob deGrom staying healthy. But you think about a series. Think about an NLCS series if the Mets are in the NLCS where you've got DeGrom going twice and Scherzer going twice and the possibility of maybe emptying the tank in Game 7 and bringing someone back for a couple innings too. Trying to beat that seems really difficult right now. That that seems like the, if you think about the Nats from a few years ago, the Mets can kind of follow mm. that sort of arc and make it work. But if they fall short, if the Mets lose, it's because they just don't, they don't end up scoring enough runs in the postseason. They might be a kind of an offense that can get shut down by some of these top level clubs that are going to be in the postseason with them. But yeah, it is, it's nice to see a few different builds for these rosters because if every team was doing the same thing, it wouldn't be uh, nearly as fun. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
let's move on to the Rays for a bit. Go to the AL side. This team still looks as dangerous as they typically are to me. We haven't talked a lot about them in recent weeks. You know, Wander being hurt has kind of kept them a little further away from my viewing radar. And they're actually the team that's closest to the Yankees right now in the AL East race. They're probably not going to catch them. They're nine games back as we record this kind of midday Wednesday. So they're probably not closing that gap. But they do have, I think, seven more games head to head down the stretch. So I guess it's, it's possible if the Rays get really hot. You know, is this Rays team as dangerous as a typical Rays team, despite some of the bumps they've had along the way throughout the regular season? We were talking about the uh, the biggest addition you have comes from within off the IL situation, and I think the I think the Rays are uh, embody that more than almost anybody. Um, but I'm a little bit more pessimistic about everyone coming back on this squad. Um, you know, Tyler Glass now, the, one of the first things that doesn't, one of the first things, one of the first things you have to encounter coming off of TJ, and this is something that's been shown in the research, is fastball command uh, is definitely down the first year after TJ. So you got Tyler Glass now, who did not have great fastball command to begin with, coming back off of that. I, you know, I'm a little pessimistic about him just sort of stepping into the rotation. Now, could he be their closer for the rest of the season? Uh, that I think he can do because he's such a high stuff guy, as long as the stuff comes back. But, um, you know, f- the, there's been a lot of research about handmade injuries. And at first we thought uh, that they did, uh, they were bad for power. Um, that has been questioned in most recent research. So maybe Wanda Franco comes back, but it's not like he had great power to begin with, you know. So if there's any uh, stepping back off of that, that that's meaningful. Um, I don't, I'm not actually a big fan of Jose Siri as a bat. Um, you know, I do like their David Peralta acquisition, uh, but I don't think Shane Baz is coming back this year. That's more of a reading between the lines, but that rather than something I've gotten from reporting, um, it's just, uh, they're really slow walking him. Uh, and he's, he's only in a throwing program. He's not even, you know, in a rehab situation. So, uh, I don't know. I think that it's more the guys that are there right now have to do it. And, um, it is weird. Did you know that they would be number one in the AL Central? Yeah, they're yeah. still clearly a cut above those teams. And yeah. the thing they do really well as a team, even with some of the absences on the pitching side, they're tied for fourth in K-BB percentage as a pitching staff. Only the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Yankees are ahead of them. Those teams are all really good. Those are all teams we expect to be uh, legitimate threats throughout the postseason. So you know, they're kind of tied with Atlanta in terms of pitching. So I guess we're answering a question from earlier. Yes, Atlanta's pitching is good enough to quiet (laughs) even the very best of lineups, but the Rays have that too. And I think that's what makes the Rays dangerous to a team like the Yankees, kind of the the AL equivalent right now of the Dodgers in terms of the the quality of their lineup. And they're likely they're more likely to make the playoffs than not. And they've been there before with a lot of the guys that are in this core. So it's not like they're gonna get there and have the you know the bright lights thing where they kind of wilt under the pressure. It's just like no one's really talking about them. They still do a lot of things well. They still have one key flaw. Like Fabian, for me, the thing that I always think about with the Rays, there is swing and miss in the lineup and inconsistent run production. And it's the same thing I see. I watch the Brewers a lot because I'm a Brewers fan. It's the same kind of offensive construction as the Brewers. And it's so frustrating because if they could hit more consistently, they could probably close the gap on the playoff teams that people pretty typically rank ahead of them. Yeah, like they're they're always gonna have enough pitching, and like, but they just 
they're even in 2020 when they got to the World Series, like that lineup was it was Randy Rosarena and that was it. Mm-hmm. So like that that's a running thread, and like I think obviously like, pitching like they, I could see them winning a postseason series, like I could see them sneaking in and, and sort of like knocking out one of these better lineups, like you mentioned, like the Yankees, just because I mean they they can generate so much swing and miss, they can sort of neutralize and prevent runs as well. I could trust them to prevent runs as well as almost anyone. It's just. I don't know who, who it is in that lineup, but that's going to scare me, especially if Wander doesn't come back and take a step forward, uh, if Randy doesn't get like red hot. Like, I, I don't see a guy, I, I mean, I could see guys having like big moments, but I don't see a guy who consistently be that kind of engine in the middle of the lineup who can sort of either get on base or drive in runs, who can really single handedly swing a game, uh, just by having a really good night. Yeah, I, I think there's too many zeros in this lineup. I mean, the one thing that like a team like the Cardinals does really well is they just don't have any zeros. You know, like there's just no, there's no super super easy. Oh yeah, you know, even Paul Young, the, what they needed him to do was come back up and hit homers. So at least you know if he's the worst player in your lineup, he still can hit 20, 25 homers in a season. That's that's meaningful. The Rays, I think, will always have maybe two, three zeros in their lineup i mean to me siri is a zero uh taylor walls when he's in like will take a walk but he's pretty close to a zero um and uh you know compared to other sluggers at their position at first base uh, you know a yandy diaz g-man Choi thing that's not quite a zero but it's not you know among first basemen it's not that great and and paredes as a third baseman you know, not a not a definite zero, but like among third basemen, like, you know, he would rank in what the bottom five, you know, bottom 10. So, um, you know, that's too many spaces where and I, and I, I figure like it makes sense from a standpoint of efficiency and we don't have the money. Like, yeah, if we had the money, we'd have great players at every position. <laughs> um, but it does say something about their player development engine that uh, they're not quite turning out uh, even proficient pos- position players. Um, in, in Like they get credit for being such a player development engine, but then you kind of look at the players they developed and you're like, eh. I think it comes back to players like Josh Lowe and Vidal Brujan, guys that I thought would have larger roles on this team this year. I thought going back to opening day, both of those players were more important to them. They brought up Jonathan Aranda for a little while. He could end up having a more prominent role late in the season. But if we kind of compare the Rays prospect depth and the seeming lack of confidence in those players, at least the lack of roles for those players compared to what we're now seeing in Atlanta, with Von Grissom getting this chance, with Harris, we talked about earlier, getting a chance for 70-plus games now and then getting a, a massive contract extension. And even Brett Beatty, the Mets are doing this right now at third base. They're giving Brett Beatty a look. It is it is strange to see. It seems like they got bullied into that a little bit. I don't know what it was. a bunch of writers and podcasters and, I mean, and fans I, online? That's like how what? it felt online. I just know that they definitely slow walked it. I mean, they were like, no, 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 he's not coming. He's Okay, fine, he's coming. My argument, though, is that they were playing Devin Marrero in that spot. And Devin Marrero is on the wrong side of 30. He's been up and down in the big leagues for six or seven years. Why not give a young guy a chance then? Right. You've kind of proven that Devin Marrero can't hit big league pitching. You don't know if Brett Beatty can hit big league pitching. Answer the question in the next three weeks. That way you know in the postseason that you're actually playing the best guy. Because Mm. if Beatty comes up and falls on his face, you know what Devin Marrero can do. You just need a glove at third base, 
great. You got that covered. You already got that guy. But Devin Marrero is not going to turn into a big league hitter at age 31 because you gave him three extra weeks in August. Brett Beatty might just show you, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready. I got this. That's totally possible based on what he's done. When do you make that decision, though? Because they did give Josh Lowe 198 plate appearances this year. I think to their credit, that's a decent sample. Yeah. But for a long time, every baseball talent evaluator I, I remember talking to and reading and listening to for the better part of the last, feels like, decade plus now, the magic number was always a 1,000 plate appearances. And that just seems like a convenient number. It's almost two full seasons worth of plate appearances. Yeah. I don't think that's the truth anymore. I don't think teams are waiting that long to make decisions on players. I think the Harris extension is probably good proof of that. Just that if you're looking for like how teams think now, they're trying to lock in as much value as they possibly can. They're doing that with very limited information. That's the race analytically. The race analytically is to make decisions faster. And that's why we have barrel rate. That's why we have sprint speed. It's why we have outs above average, all the stack cast stuff. And that's why the teams themselves have better numbers, you know, based on a lot of those same inputs, but, you know, chopped up a little differently. The race is to, to make decisions faster for sure. And I guess I'm trying not to read too much into teams giving or not giving young players an opportunity. Does it really mean that much? The Dodgers haven't give Miguel, given Miguel Vargas more time in the big leagues this year? Probably not. I shouldn't assume that it means something. But if he was on the Rays and he wasn't getting a chance, that might mean something. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also just a matter of like who, who's starting over them. Like Justin Turner, I think even though he hasn't been the same guy this season, like he's someone who's been a league average bat who like in October, you at least trust to put like together a quality at bat, like Max Muncy's starting to turn things around. Like if, if both those guys were sort of like in the first half stage or where they both were having, Still, yeah. both had OPSs like in five, like high five hundreds, like, yeah, like then there'd be more outcry for Miguel Vargas to at least like get a run. And maybe he would have at that time. Quick uh, question on Brett Beatty, though. I know they'll have Guillaume back, and that alone might limit the playing time. But do you think Beatty's going to hit enough to have a role for the Mets in the postseason? You first, Dino. What do you think? I had a scout put a Will Clark uh, comp on him. Uh, the big thing for me was I wanted to see him cut the ground ball rate. I talked to him about the about it, the Futures game, and he said, I'm just trying to hit the ball hard. Uh, I don't care about my ground ball rate. But lo and behold... Uh, in 2021, he was in 50s and 60%. And then this year, he dropped that ground ball rate to 42% and showed the best power he's ever shown. So I'm going to say I like him. Uh, I think he can do it. I think the the power is real. Uh, the patience is real. The only question is what a strikeout rate is going to look like. Yeah, I think it's sort of the same thing. Like if the problem that we're discussing with the Mets is if we don't know that they're going to be able to hit for enough power, like their singles lineup, you kind of have to sort of give that a shot and at least see if like, if he catches fire for a couple months, like that's a game changer because I don't know who, where else that power is going to come from in that lineup besides Alonzo. Yeah, it's a few kind of mix and match type players off the bench now that can provide power. Maybe Tyler Naquin gives them a little more thump than they had, but you're not expecting game changing power. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's Vogelback <laughs> and, and Ruff, right? You're kind of platooning those guys for one spot. One guy starts, the other guy comes off the bench in a tight spot and hopefully gets you a big swing. So they're they're better in that regard. But Beatty would end up being a big upgrade potentially. Yeah, and I think Beatty could almost, you know, sneak his way into this lineup in a few spots because they're starting outfield. Although they're good players, Kanha, Nimmo, Nimmo, and Marte, they're not power hitters. You know, not not really by any stretch. So, uh, you know, if, if there was a way to get uh, Beatty some at bats, um, 
you know, at the cost of maybe Kanha or somebody, you know, I think that there is, there is a chance for Beatty. Uh, and then McNeil too, you know, at second. So, you know, depending on what Beatty can do with his glove, uh, there are going to be some chances for him. As long as he's not terrible with the glove, I think he's going to play. Among qualified hitters at AA this season, Brett Beatty had the highest WRC plus at 159. So a 312, 406, 544 line is a 22-year-old there. Drawing walks, not striking out at an alarming rate. That should play. Even if he's not in the heart of the order, that should be a kind of the number six type hitter that you really need that can actually do <laughs> some damage. Also a character. So I, I think it, I mean that in a good way. I think uh, in a good way, in a like good a Vinny P character. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's going to enjoy New York. He's he's got the big old smile and he's he's ready for the interviews. And, you know, he thinks he, he I think he's got good confidence and I think he's ready for the, the big lights. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Some breaking news that just uh, popped in the last little while since we started recording. The Rangers have fired president of baseball operations, John Daniels. So on the heels of letting Chris Woodward go as the manager, which to me was a little surprising because I sat there and was like, he didn't build this. Is he actually managing the roster incorrectly? This is a, a, a curious timing because, of course, the Rangers had the big spending spree in the offseason, adding Corey Seager, adding Marcus Simeon, adding John Gray. I know they didn't get the results they wanted after all of that spending this year, but I, I'm a little surprised they didn't give him one more year in the wake of all of the changes that were starting to take place here over the past calendar year or so. Uh, Fabian, you first, uh, the shakeup in Texas. You know, what do you make of these decisions coming down right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of mentioned that spending spree, but still, I don't think they're necessarily record-wise all that far from where I expected them to be. Because, like, yeah, like they, they got better, but they also like they still had a lot of holes on that roster and were still like still very it seemed like very early in like that stage where you're sort of filling out what you need around those guys and it's more being opportunistic is sort of how I viewed their free agency spending. Like, all right, like they wanted Corey Seager and he wasn't going to be available as a free agent in two years. So why not sign him now? Uh, but I mean, yeah, uh, I was a little surprised when they first let Woodward go and didn't let, like didn't make any front office changes. Like I, th- I figured they would just come at the same time. Like, all right, if it isn't working, you pull the plug on the whole thing. Uh, but and now it seems like it's happened a couple days later. Uh, I, I don't, I know Chris, uh, I know John Daniels has been there for a while, uh, and obviously was part of those teams in the early two, uh, 2010s that had a lot of success, but it seems like there's been just different iterations of this team that it hasn't quite clicked. They've tried a lot of different stuff and it hasn't quite clicked. So I guess 
timing's a little surprising, but I guess the overall decision isn't that much for me. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the most difficult things in baseball is um, identifying what you want to do uh, with a squad, with a team, with an organization, and then implementing that and then not falling behind as you implement it. So, for example, if you think, oh, we're going to, we love driveline, we love driveline's philosophies, we're going to, we're going to infuse our entire pitching development with this type of philosophy, um, and we're going to, we're going to do it up and down. Um, you have to do that fast because other people, other teams are having the same idea, right? Uh, you have to do it effectively, uh, which means firing people. Uh, it means, culling it means um having some sort of idea of the benchmarks you want all your guys to hit so that you know how to how to test this and how to know who to fire um and i think that's where the rangers came up short in terms of having an identity in the in the minor leagues and the organization as a as a full um and then implementing that even when it was uncomfortable so I think that's I think John Daniels is almost too nice of a guy. You know, there were too many times where, you know, there was somebody, an incumbent in place that, um, you know, was too old school or whatever or wasn't on board with the, the philosophy. And Daniels didn't, you know, make that decision to sort of cut that person. Um, and so, you know, I think that I think if you if you put that together with what the Rangers have done and what Fabian just said about like sort of an inconsistent identity and like, you know, just how they haven't been able to put it all together. I think that uh, is where he failed. He he did uh, do a good job. I, I looked recently. The Rangers um, have drafted and signed uh, more uh, players in the big leagues right now than I think 27 teams in the big leagues. So they have some part of their identity is as is intact. It's is a scouting development, a scouting uh, identity that sort of came with AJ Preller, you know. So they have had some success in the scouting develop in the scouting department. But a lot of those players are playing for other teams. And so, you know, it's losing guys, it's trading guys, it's not developing your own guys. Um, and so I think that's where they they came up short. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the write-up that we have on The Athletic right now, and Daniel's contract was up at the end of the season. So I guess just moving along now, you can start the search a little Writing bit Writing on the wall, too, when you hire Chris Young. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's like you're hiring under, but it's not you know, it didn't seem like that. You started hearing more from Chris Young than you did from John Daniels. Right. And I just wonder if, if Young gets promoted to that spot and they hire another GM, but it's now Young's team instead of Daniels team or, or how that, how that relationship actually plays out. But I, I guess the other related question, we had a change in Detroit. What situation is better right now? Tigers versus Rangers. To me, that's easily the Rangers, the young talent that they have right now. seems like there's a lot more depth. They've spent some money on some impact players already going back to last offseason. I take the Corey Seager deal over the Javi Baez deal. Dude. <laughs> and the Simeon deal. Both. Yeah. Both, for sure. I just I, I think that young wave of talent still coming up to start to fill some of the holes. Fabian mentioned this is this is a team that had flaws even with that spending spree. I think we talked about that on this show back in, in March, and I also didn't expect them to be a playoff team this year. So I don't know how or why the expectations maybe between ownership and front office were were misaligned, but I guess when you, you sign some big checks like that mm. as an ownership group, you expect to see more results faster than might be possible. So a uh, pretty big shakeup for sure in Texas with uh, John Daniels 
uh, being let go by the Rangers today. Uh, last topic for today, the Michael Harris extension, eight years, 72 million. We talked a lot about Atlanta on this show. So if you are a Braves fan, you're probably pretty happy. This is a great core that they have in place now. And Harris is showing us power. He's showing us speed. Plate skills should keep getting better, too, as he gets more and more time in the big leagues. You look at Acuna, Albies, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, and now Harris, all under long-term contracts. I wonder if this means that Dansby Swanson is going to end up moving on as a free agent this offseason. He's actually old for the core at 28. He's not actually old. He's going to get a big payday. What do you think, Fabian Dansby Swanson? Does he stay in Atlanta and get a long-term deal this offseason, or are they going to go some other direction at shortstop? I could still see that happening. I think some people have already made like speculation, sort of connected to the fact that Dansby Swanson is an Excel client, and obviously there's been uh, some obviously conversations about that agency and that franchise this year. But I mean, I do think that there's a strong chance he comes back. I do think I'm curious just to see how much more spending they do free agency now, because you. You sort of know exactly what your books are going to look like for the next decade out at this point. And they were already aggressive taking on a bunch of salary at the deadline uh, with Rysel Iglesias. I wonder if they're more willing to make those kinds of moves now and at the deadline uh, via trade, via free agency, uh, when they get the chance. Because like they already know where everything else is going to sort of stand for them. And if they're more aggressive to do that, then that makes them really dangerous. Uh, that makes It probably elevates them to... The types of like Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, t- like that tier that we sort of like, any free agent you sort of expect them to at least like be in the conversation for just because they could feasibly make it work. I think that's the biggest thing that I've noted. That I've thought as I sort of look at all these extensions, like all right, they they know what their most of their team's going to look like, and if they need to add a piece to put a cherry on top, they're going to be willing and able to do it. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting uh, situation though, where you know last year their end of season payroll, according to Fangraphs roster resource, uh, was one forty five, and Fabian's right, they've taken on money. This is it's one eighty nine this year, um, and next year it's one fifty three million before arbitration, which includes Max Fried, Mike Soroka, AJ Minter, and Tyler Matzek. Uh, it's actually, if you read between the lines, they're probably not going to hit them too hard because they've they've locked all these guys down into guaranteed salaries. The only one that's going to be really have a real big jump uh, is Max Freed, probably. Um, so if you uh, if you just add, I don't know, ten million for him, uh, you could probably get the whole bunch of them for twenty, uh, twenty million, twenty five. So they're going to actually be at one eighty million. Uh, again next year before they sign a free agent. Um, so I could actually see them just letting Kenley Jansen and Danzy Swanson walk um, and, and feeling like they've got uh, in-house replacements and they would rather uh, spend small in free agency and uh, replace like a Robbie Grossman with uh, somebody for a one year five or one two years ten, that sort of deal. Um, so actually, I think this is all setting up for Dansby to walk. And I think that Kenley is already out the door. <laughs> that's what the Rysel deal was about. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I think that's, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the other question with Atlanta going into the offseason, not that we have to skip through the playoffs, but since we're talking about the future there, Charlie Morton's got a club option. He could retire. He'll be 39 in November. So if Charlie Morton calls it a career, they have to find a way to replace him. 
but they would have about $20 million in AAV to play with to do that. So they're in a pretty good spot, I think, as far as uh, covering that goes. Maybe they'd be players for Justin Verlander as he uh, hits free agency again in the offseason. Expectations for Harris, though, long-term. What kind of player do you think we're looking at? I mean, it's exciting to see a player with so little service time get this long-term extension, already showing all the tools that we were hoping for. What's the ceiling? I mean, my sample of watching him is just like three games in person in Atlanta this year. But like he athletically, like he moves differently in center field. And I think that's going to be a game changer just in how the Braves build going forward. Uh, just knowing you have a guy out there. I mean, it changes who you can target in left and right field. You can maybe, obviously, you're going to have Acuna locked up in right field. But like left field, like you can maybe take more chances on bat first, no glove guys just because you know that Michael Harris can cover that much ground. And he's also shown a ton of power uh, just from what I've been able to see. Like, And I think you just put those two things out there. I mean, it obviously, it's a high upside, high ceiling. And I think there's star-level potential in there when you sort of look at him at that 872 rate that they signed him for. Yeah. Because he's an aggressive hitter that's not really there to take walks. He's still, and he makes enough contact, it still matters that he doesn't swing at balls. Um, and I think if there is another layoff for him, it's doing something that Acuna did, which is he made a massive improvement in his chase in his chase percentage uh, from, from his rookie season. So they can bet on that. I think even if he doesn't do that, he'll just be uh, a little bit streakier than than people realize. Um, and I'm not sure how much more the strikeout rate will come down if he continues to swing at balls. But it's just one thing. I mean, I agree. The athleticism is off the charts. Um, the uh, just the play, the play overall play is is so five tool that, um, or at least four and a half tool where. Uh, it's just this one thing that you're watching uh, if you want to if you want to see if he's going to be a superstar or not. Yeah, I think the early indications, tons of red ink on the Statcast page, right? I mean, phenomenal in center field, 93th percentile, 93rd percentile in outs above average, 91st percentile in outfielder jump, 94th percentile in sprint speed, 88th percentile in max exit velo, and 73rd percentile in barrel rate. So, doing damage moving really well and should be a a fixture in this lineup for a very long time in the wake of this extension. We could be talking about this as another great uh, team-friendly deal in very short order. Already looks like that today, but it could become even more extreme here in the next few seasons as Harris continues to settle in uh, against big league pitching. I wonder wonder if the Acuna uh, improvement there has changed Alex Anthopoulos's mind or if he was just like, Hey, it's going to be easier for us to get athletes, uh, if they have a flaw. And I do know, I, you know, do know from my history and other, in other organizations that people really value chase rate. What if I don't value chase rate as highly as everybody else? Well, am I going to get better players? Am I, am I going to be able to get a different set of players and get some undervalued athletes in here that can really play anyway, even if they do chase, uh, you know, a little bit. So, you know, I, I, I wonder if that's like a conscious decision or if that's just how it's filtered through right now. But here is another guy in, you know, Albies, Harris, like, you know, these, do, these guys are aggressive and they do, they do swing at balls. They're not, they're not Dodgers. You know, so it's uh, it, it like that that goes back to what we started talking about at the beginning. And I, I find it fascinating that um, they hand out another extension and yet another extension on the Braves that seems very team friendly. 
Um, and I, and I don't know how that happens. Does that happen? Is that more likely to happen? Cause you're like, Oh, you know, Acuna took this deal and Albies took this deal. I, I'm going to take this deal. You know, I don't know. Harris specifically, I think like he grew up in the area. So I think there's more incentive personally for him, maybe want to stay there. But yeah, I mean, I think there's also something collectively to like, all right, this is a group. Like this is a core that We're gonna all be together, is already successful. Yeah, they've already been super successful together. Yeah, and they're going to be together for a long time. I think sort of seeing that and what that potential is. I think I, I think that's something that matters to a lot of guys. Yeah, I think being twenty one, you can take an eight year extension right now and actually hit free agency again and get that massive payday. They later put too. their guys in young. That's something we've been talking about, right? They put their guys in mm-hmm. young. So they can extend them for eight years. They can still hit free agency at a good age. Uh, and yet the Braves still get their best years. Yeah. And maybe that risk reward calculation when you're a player that young is I would love that guaranteed payday right now. If you're 23, 24, you can't necessarily take that extension because you're going to be post peak when you reach free agency the next time. And then the deal won't be big enough to offset that lost time. So could just be the stars aligning perfectly with Harrison's good point too, Fabian, that you know, growing up in that area, if, if you're already home, if you're already where you want to be and you can also get that extra security, that would explain why Michael Harris wanted to uh, get that deal for Atlanta. But just an outstanding core that they have put together. And as we mentioned earlier, maybe the most dangerous team uh, for the Dodgers to have to contend with yet again. It's going to be an amazing postseason. The NL is just loaded at the top right now. And I'm really looking forward to uh, reaching that point in the season. I feel like we've been in stretch run mode for longer than a few weeks already. Sometimes late August and early September is one of the harder times for a writer. I, I've been feeling it this week where I'm just sort of casting about looking for ideas. So, nah, We're still having fun. Fabian, thanks for joining us on the show again this week. Of course. Thanks for having me. Give Fabian a follow at Fabian Ardaya on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. Have a great day. Three, it's the magic number. <laughs> Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.